Coming up on the show, the story of an unusual first date. At last he strode up, golden hair messy and panting, tan and handsome. He apologized for being late. It felt strange to kiss a stranger sober. He's her friend's cousin. We were headed north, he told me, to Malpais. That means bad country, I told him. When we're young and learning to date, how can we throw ourselves in these uncomfortable situations? I do think there's something about being 21 and having very little sense of like what compatibility is and sort of mistaking cliche movie romance for romance. This is Why a Why. I'm Andrea Salenzi. We're going to hear Sandra's story in just a bit. My heart is beating. The seventeen-year locusts were hatching the night we met. They were everywhere. The North Carolina mountains echoed with their screams. They were fucking in the trees. They were fucking in the air. They were fucking in death. Their bodies crunched beneath our sandaled feet as we stood in his mother's verdant yard and kissed. I was on a road trip, and he was my friend's cousin. He soon after had moved to Costa Rica indefinitely. He'd been last-minute rejected from the Peace Corps elsewhere in Central America and had become too determined to get out of Charlotte. He spoke no Spanish. He never before owned a passport. He called, and I told him, sure, yes, I would meet him down in Costa Rica for a week. My flight was more surreal than flights already are, me realizing I actually was en route to a foreign country to spend a week with a man I did not know. I said yes because I'd never been asked a question like this before, and I wanted to be the kind of person who said yes. I wanted to be the kind of person who took huge risks and hope that taking huge risks would somehow result in some huge payoff, whatever that meant. I was 21, and I wanted to live a very romantic story. Past customs, I stepped into the bright day that was San Jose. I looked for him. A man stopped, asked if I needed a taxi, No, gracias, I said. I had been more or less fluent in the language in high school and the dormant sounds awoke awkward on my tongue. I walked to the curb. I panicked, realizing I might not recognize him, bad memory that I have for people, especially people I've met only once. I flapped my hands at the taxi drivers and repeated, No, gracias, no, gracias, no, gracias. I walked until there was no more curb. I turned around and walked all the way back to the doors. Now the taxi drivers were positive that I was lost or had changed my mind, and each made the decision to approach me again and ask again, and I, no gracias, no gracias, no gracias, I began to wonder about myself too. He may have forgotten, 
I knew so little about him. He may have gotten lost on his way to the airport or written my flight down wrong. The men stared. At last he strode up, golden hair messy and panting, tan and handsome. He apologized for being late. It felt strange to kiss a stranger sober. We were headed north, he told me, to Malpais. That means bad country, I told him. On the bus, we watched a deaf girl and her father read a book. We sucked on blow pops from a bag I'd brought him. When we'd spoken on the phone, he'd said that's what he missed most about the States, blow pops, that and football. We sucked on blow pops and cigarettes on the stormy ferry and while waiting in a pack of locals for another bus, which got stuck in the mud. A man put us into a jeep that lumbered over a muddy mountain, and it was past 2 a.m. when we arrived in a town we couldn't get to the bad country tonight. We found a hotel with a single light still lit, insects going bananas, and got a room. Inside, a translucent gecko skittered. He flipped on the light, and I looked around the room for cockroaches. There was a mosquito net draped over the bed. We fell over on top of one another and took off the clothes that needed taking off, and his dick had freckles. I hate condoms, he murmured to me, and... The mosquito nets are hurting the cuts on my feet. It wasn't long. After, he went out and looked at the crude oil ocean and the moon. It had stopped raining. He threw a butt off the balcony. I turned on the bathroom light and looked for cockroaches. I washed my hands. I looked in the mirror at my face. His arms and back and side had tattoos with words and pictures. One said his surname, Another the name of his now-dead pit bull in the style of a beer logo. His old roommate had accidentally killed her backing out of their driveway, he explained. I loved his droopy North Carolinian accent. In the morning, we went to the beach. I took his picture as he emerged from the waves and set his camera back in its athletic sock. He kneeled and slowly dried his hands on his towel and opened the sock and studied the screen on the back of the camera to make sure I hadn't damaged it. Of course I didn't damage it, I said. He had grown up poor. Some guy gave him the camera, he explained, some older rich gay guy who'd traveled with him and had been there when he got the cuts on his feet. Not that I have a problem with gays, he said, a thing I'd never actually heard someone say, having only lived in really liberal places. Anyway, I've never owned one so nice, he explained. Maybe that was it, what I thought I liked about him, why I'd agreed to come here, that he didn't resemble anyone else I knew. The last bus to Malpais didn't exist, a Midwestern guy told us. He had a bandana and spoke about how much he loved this country, these people. Just a great country, man, a great people, the Midwestern guy said. The sky opened up and shat rain. Some frowning girls sold us peanuts. A taxi driver agreed to take us all the way to Malpais. He drove like he was paddling through whitewater rapids, little car rising and falling, mud splattering, night falling, and all the while he hit the small television aside his steering wheel as its telenovela flickered. The power was out in town. I sat on our two bags under an awning while he went to find us a hotel. Cats slept. The awning dripped. An hour passed. Then he came sprinting back, shouting. He'd found a room run by a German guy with a dog who looked like his now-dead pit bull and a bar with football on, too. It was called the Howling Monkey, the bar. 
The owner, Richard, had opened it after he'd followed a gal there, and then when it was open, she'd left him. Richard lived in Costa Rica full-time and was pretty racist. "'I'll tell you something about them Ticos and construction,' Richard said. "'They're putting in my toilets right here.' I say, "'Where's your vent on your toilet?' "'Oh, we don't do vents in Costa Rica,' they go. "'So I go over to the bar and I show them.' Richard grabbed a glass of water and a straw and caught some water in the straw with his finger and held it in the air, saying, "'I said, here's my toilet without a vent.' And letting his finger go, said, "'And here it is with a vent. "'Now go make me a real goddamn vent!' His big laugh echoed through the high tin roof. He was as large as a mountain of mud. He sold us Israeli beers for 50 cents. He'd bought the whole case from some Israeli and couldn't sell a single goddamn one of them at full price. He sold us boxes of derby lights for a buck a pop. He served us food off a menu his friend back in Vegas had designed. Goddamn Ticos can't cook either, he snorted, laughing again. He lit up a cigar. He couldn't wait for his upcoming trip to Honduras for visa renewal when he'd be staying at a resort with all-you-can-eat lobster. He'd been losing weight in this bad country. My date and I had sex once a day, no less, no more. It was hot. It was obligatory feeling. And he sat at a little white table outside our door for an hour each morning, smoking derby lights and drinking coffee and writing in his diary in a slow, loopy hand. His diary was a spiral-bound notebook like a middle schooler would use. Do you write about yourself? I pried. Just people, places I went, things I saw, he said, setting it on the highest shelf out of my reach. Though I was desperate to read how our date was going, I promised myself I wouldn't snoop. That night at the Howling Monkey, I met a guy who went to law school on the East Coast. He was traveling alone, and his pits were wet. I didn't like him. My date got mad. As we flip-flopped through the mud back to our room, he accused me of ignoring him. He accused me of talking about things he knew nothing about. He said, if you're so much smarter than me, and I said, I'm not, which was a lie and true. After all, what kind of character flies to Costa Rica for a week-long first date with a man she knows nothing about? Most mornings it rained, and he wrote in his diary at the little white table, and in the afternoon it'd clear and we'd choose a perfect beach to go sit on. We'd look at the white mansions on the hill, and Tico kids and dogs would run about, and iguanas stood sideways on trees. On the way to the beach one day, we passed a dog lying dead in the sand, flies above its belly and tongue fallen from its mouth. I walked up to a restaurant and bought a juice and offered him some, and he said he didn't want any. I asked why he didn't want to go back to Charlotte, and he said all his friends there just did coke, and he didn't want to go back and just do coke. I said that sounded fair. I think that's what we did have in common, a desire to get out of whatever we were in, though little clue what else we wanted instead. A wave was coming fast, spreading out across the beach, thin but powerful. I yelled, and we grabbed up our towels and bags, laughing and screaming and feeling the churning froth around our feet. I went wandering through the foliage for that one lost sandal. Some kids giggled. He inspected his camera for damage. On our way back to the room, we passed some kids burying the dead dog in the wet sand. That dog wasn't dead before, my date said. Yes, it was, I said, and wondered if I'd done something wrong contradicting him, though I knew I was right. That night at the Howling Monkey, there was a Texan blonde. 
I'll have a Miller Lite, she told Richard with a wink, and I'm in real estate, but I make most of my money as a Miller Lite girl, which meant she went to bars and administered the Miller Lite taste test. Nine times out of ten, they prefer Miller Lite, she said with a delicate, earnest nod. My date nodded back. There was maybe a man by the Miller Lite girl's side, but no one noticed during the hours we sat, watching football, tipping back beers, and listening to waves crash on the other side of the dark jungle. Back at the little white table, my date told me stories about the time he'd spent so far in Costa Rica. He said he and some friends were drunk in Alahuela, and he lost his shoes down some rocks, and everybody was positive there was a lake down there, but it was actually just sewage, and he cut up his feet. He said he and some friends were running down the beach to get back across the border, and this customs official asked them for a bribe, and he gave the bribe. He said he and some friends were at a club with a diving pool in the center, and his friend had her purse stolen by a guy, and so he punched the guy in the face. In the morning, I got up and went outside to sit across from him as he wrote. I let my eyes glance across the table and read, or at least thought I read, an upside-down phrase, going well with her. He stubbed out his cigarette. Don't know if it'll stop all day, he said, looking out at the rainy garden. He walked inside, carefully placed the notebook on the highest shelf and remarked that he'd need to get up early tomorrow to catch up with his diary writing. He was so many days behind, he remarked. I wondered which of us was living just to write it down. Our last night, Richard hugged us goodbye and told us to come back. Come back and run this joint with me, he said. We laughed and said that we would be back. We would be back and we'd stay. Hell, what place was better than here? We could live here. We could buy one of those mansions on the cliffs. We'd teach our gringo children perfect Spanish. Come back and run this joint with me, Richard repeated. And we laughed and nodded and flip-flopped hand in hand back down the muddy road. Back at the little white table, we sat and drank and drank, and he asked me point blank, why are you here with me? I listened to the ocean stumble around in the dark across the street. We drank and drank, and he asked me as if I were a Miss America contestant if there were three things I liked about him. What were they and why? And I watched the bugs dash in and out of the light fixture in the garden below. We drank and drank, and he asked me if he were to move in with me when he came back to the States, did Providence have a store where he could buy skater shoes? I think so, I said, and how exciting it was, the idea of him moving to be with me, and how terrible. On our bus out of Malpais, a white man with long dreadlocks got on. His son was tan like he was, and their dog got on the bus, too. "'Get out of here, Sammy. Go home, baby,' the man said to his dog, his English like a Californian's who'd been out of the States too long. Just as the bus lurched away, the dog scampered down and off. Some schoolgirls watched. The dog smiled. "'Get out of here, Sammy. Go home, baby,' the boy said. He spoke like a Californian who'd never been to the States." He spoke like the children my date and I would never have. On the ferry crossing, though, the sea sparkled. I leaned my head on his shoulder, and we shared earbuds and listened to a song that said, You're all I need. In our last hotel, near the airport, he took his camera from its sock to check its screen. We made all the coffee in the bathroom and turned on the AC. He came on my belly and walked away. 
We sat on the porch and looked at the view of a cement wall and smoked and sucked on the last two blow pops. We watched the sunset on a beach in the rain. As I walked through the ropes at the airport, I turned back to him like people do in movies and saw him standing, tan and handsome, and I decided to cry. It was a good date. About a week after I got to America, I would call him and tell him I didn't think he should move to Providence, and he would call me terrible things. I think he probably still hates me. That's probably fair. The couple next to me on the plane explained they'd had a guide on their honeymoon. They'd done a zip line. They were going home to Pennsylvania. Not only did they just get married, but they'd also just bought their first house. The woman made that remark about how it's strange to call someone your husband when you've never used that word before. She then asked me why I had been to Costa Rica. That was Date by Sandra Allen, friend Julia's friend who accosted me at a party. Welcome to the show. Thank you. If you want to be on the podcast, folks, just accost me at a party. That's the best way. <laughs> I fangirled at you. I was like, I love your podcast. I <laughs> Let can't. Let me read a story on uh, it. I love to Just do it every day, please. <laughs> Will you record my ringtone? Sure. Was that a real story? Is that yeah, true? Yeah, that's a true story. That's an essay. How old were you? 21. How old are you now? 27. Would you do this again? No, I don't think that, I mean, no, not not to this degree. I do think there's something about being 21 and having very little sense of like what compatibility is and sort of mistaking like, like cliche movie romance for romance. And I think that that's sort of what this piece is about, is like, oh, wow, this like guy invited me to do this thing, and so I should do it. And I feel like I have just way too many stories that are exactly that, you know, me being like, ooh, this is so cool that this happened, so it's going to be real, you know, and I think that that's just like, that's like youth, you know, is that you really think because an opportunity presents that it's going to be the most exciting romantic thing in the world and the reality is like you know this when you're a little older you're like oh no people are like kind of all complicated and like (laughs) you know yeah I love what you said it's like the movie romance uh version of romance because I feel like all the Disney stories are like he was an unexpected partner for her everyone wanted her to be with someone who had grown up in a very similar way and she found the outsider and that was the deeper love right but as I feel like as I've grown older, my ideas about dating someone who has dras- made drastically different life choices has narrowed. And does that mean I'm officially square? I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's square, but I think that that's something that I mean, so I started writing this piece like pretty soon after this happened. So, I mean, like five years ago, I was writing a version of this piece. I actually first wrote it as fiction and then I wrote it as an essay that was entirely in reverse Hmm. Every single scene happened backwards. And I remember I workshopped this during my MFA. I did MFA nonfiction. And it was that workshop that you do where everyone is like, what is this? Like where everyone didn't understand it. And it was 
so embarrassing. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what this is either. This is just scrambled time and pretty sentences. And then over the years, I sort of was like, I still like that story. I still think there's like a point I was trying to make in it. And it's a theme I've definitely like dealt with in a, a few different essays I've written about sort of like young, younger loves. But one of them is like escapism. It's class voyeurism. It's American voyeurism. Like, I legitimately liked that this person was, like, from North Carolina and had this accent and had these, like, really tacky tattoos and and had sort of, like, ideas about what was possible between us that, like, actually didn't meet up with my... If you, you know, pinned me down and said, does this make any sense, I would have told you no. But you were just before talking about that line where it's like, if you're so much smarter than me and I said I wasn't and it was a lie and it was also true... I do think that that's like a lot, especially at 21, that's how love works, you know, at least that's how it was for me, where I had, I had an intelligent brain, and it really wasn't, it was not as good as it should have been. Like, it was not as active as it should have been in terms of those, like, I think that's how girls end up when they're 21, dating that guy who's like, in a band, or, you know, like, I don't know, I I could give so many real examples of, like, guys I dated when I was 21, where, like, all, you're even, and I think it's especially tough when you are smart, when you, like, are going to a good college, when you are being, like, really intellectually challenged, and you're being forced to be really courageous, and interact with these really smart people, and, like, make these huge decisions about who you are. And then as a, as dating or relationships or sex goes, I feel like I just made garbage decisions almost to like compensate, you know? <laughs> so let's go over all the dumb guys you dated <laughs> between 21 and 27 or before then. Oh, we could go before then too. We could, and we can also trade off because I feel like I have. I mean, there was the guy who had a room that was um, the size of his mattress. Hmm. And, and there was, I think... A sheet on it and the only thing we would do was like have sex and then lay in bed and smoke which is disgusting and then he would listen to punk music quietly while we slept <laughs> oh my god yeah no i had the punk guy too he had he's, like, he's like, like why didn't i say turn off your punk music while i can't we're listen sleeping. to this yeah like why do you need to listen and it was like it was like he would turn it down to be, like, nice because we were going to go to sleep. But he needs to play it all the time because that's the punk rock lifestyle. Oh, my God. I have another essay I wrote about this, but I did date a coke addict with a kid who was, like, older than me and at a restaurant. And, you know, again, was, was sort of like, I think it's also like when you're that age and a woman and you're sort of like not totally aware of, like, what that power is or isn't and you're kind of testing the boundaries of that I think at least I had the urge to just be like yeah like I'll get in your low riding Honda and you can drive 95 miles an hour literally and I will like not say anything I think there was a part of me that was like interested in how far that could take me in a way because it was like I actually didn't date a lot of like I wasn't involved with many undergrads in college like other undergrads I was mostly I found myself dating like townies or graduate students or people who had just like a very different sort of like path than me and I think that that was partly that I was really struggling to figure out how I fit in where I was in college I felt mismatched I think probably in a a way that was bigger than just like where I was at school which I ended up enjoying a lot but like 
I think I was struggling with just these like big identity things and like part of the way that I acted out in in some way was like I dated guys I had nothing in common with or who sort of presented as some huge adventure, a huge challenge where the gap between who we were could be what I occupied myself with as opposed to like having to necessarily like present myself honestly, which I think would have been way scarier. Instead, just kind of being like that girl who like showed up and I didn't necessarily need to disclose that I was like smart or cool or any of these things. I could be those things as like assets, like I could speak Spanish if need be, or I could sing in a studio with your friend who's like some sort of like rap musician late at night. Like I could do that if that was like what came up, but I didn't like need to be any of those things. And I didn't actually, in a way it's like extremely protective to put yourself out there so much. You like don't need to show as much of yourself. Yeah. Well, something I was thinking about during this story is that those moments where you are playing a role, but you're living in your real life as yourself, (laughs) but you're like, right now I'm his girlfriend or right now I can imagine a future where he moves to Providence and we go shopping for skater shoes together. Like I can picture this world and I can occupy it temporarily, but then there reaches a point where you get back to your true self. But I feel like it's, there's something so freeing and relaxing about not having to be yourself in those moments. Yeah. I mean, I think that like love is an act of imagination on some level. And I think that that's like, that's the young muscle here. That's the thing that's getting worked out, you know, for the first time is this idea of maybe this is it. Maybe this is what my life would be. And I think that for me, that manifested very anxiously. And I would be like, oh, yeah, like, I'll go to Costa Rica with you. I'll do this with you. Because I was like, well, it's got to happen at some point. I was like, I got to something's got to happen here, you know. But I do think that, like, becoming aware of the fact that, like, anybody who's an adult who has a life partner who's forged a life with someone to some degree, like, has made it up. Like at some point there's been there's been you've said yes to something you've flown somewhere you've 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 pretended to be something for a little bit until it was real. Um, And I think that that's why like I mean as a writer like at the end of the piece I think that's why I have the the couple who are just coming from their honeymoon and the woman is talking about like how the word husband is strange and stuff like that's an act of imagination. That's actually as imagined as is the date that I have in this story which like I think should be clear, like from the start, that it's not going to work. Like, I think that that there's never a question that this date is going to have a second date. Like I never, you know, and I don't think I ever had legitimately within myself through the course of that week that I lived with this person, like 24 hours a day. I don't think I ever thought that I was going to see him again on some level. Like I knew the way that even today, like as like an adult woman in New York City at 27 years old, if you walk up to like an OK Cupid date, you can pretty quickly tell whether you're going to have a second date or not with somebody. You yeah. know, and I do think that that's the difference between 21 and 27 is I now go on that date and I don't feel like I know my value in a different way now. And oh. I don't feel like I need to pose in another life because I'm pretty wild about my life. Yes. And I think that that's a confidence thing. That's a maturity thing. It's cliche, but it's like I'm less reckless. Um, with my heart, right? Yeah. Because you know that, like, yeah, you do. I mean, I'm sure that on some level I hurt this guy. And I think I was, I, I wasn't callous. I felt some guilt for sure, but I didn't necessarily care. 
you know, like, cause I was like, you have your life. I have my life. I knew at some point I'd look on Facebook and see which state he'd moved to. And I'd be like, oh, okay, that's where you live now. And you'd be happy. You'd see the wedding photos and you'd see the kids being born. I don't think, yeah, I don't think he has those things. It's been a while since I looked at his Facebook. We are still friends on Facebook. Good. But we, you know, have had like zero interaction ever. And the friend whose cousin he is and I had a very funny thing like a year after this. He's like, you went and like visited my cousin for a week in Costa Rica. I was like, yep, sure enough, did. Yep, he uh, came on my belly. That were me. (laughs) Oh, the other thing I love in your story is that one line about the obligatory feeling of the sex with him. I feel like when you're that age, you kind of love the sense of, like, playing adult, but you also love the sense of, like, I am... It's it's almost like you were his wife that week. We were. I mean, everyone who met us, I think, like, Richard, for example didn't know that we didn't know each other and so it wasn't a lie because we were partnered and we were making all these decisions in tandem oh we're going to go on this hike oh we're going to stay in this room oh we're going to eat this you know we were partnered and yet on the other hand like yeah this was completely fake completely contingent we didn't know each other well at all and I think I love that duality I love like Like you were saying before how you're living like a fake life and you're living your own life and you're kind of double tracking those things at the same time. And I think that's the other reason like in this piece there's a lot of like motifs of like both of us sort of writing the whole thing down. And I found that even at the time I found that so ironic that he was the one who was waking up every morning and writing down everything that was happening. And you're the writer. And I'm the writer. And I was so frustrated with that. I was like, I was like, he like, I think he went to college you know, like, <laughs> and I'm yeah. such a snob. I'm such a snob. But I was like, but he wasn't a writer at all. And I definitely was starting to identify that way at this point. And I just remember being like, so frustrated that he, I was like, why are you writing this down for? What do you want? What's your game? You know, like, because I had this sense that like, I was the one running the game here. I was the manipulative one who showed up and was like living this double life. And like, I think he was legitimately just keeping a diary <laughs> because he was on this yeah. big trip. He was on this big trip. This is a big time for him. Yeah. He was doing this big, crazy thing. You know, like he had he had decided to move to a foreign country. He'd like never been to a foreign country before. He didn't speak Spanish like and he was super proud and he like wouldn't necessarily let me speak Spanish for him, even though I would because I was like, dude, I have this. You don't have this. Like, wouldn't it be easier if I could, for example, ask what time the bus leaves? And this was, I mean, it was this huge thing that he'd done with his life at the same time. And I, I guess I also, I like that I've always been just like so into that aspect of relationships, how you're both operating on these completely different levels and they don't necessarily sync up and like how you're experiencing it, how he's experiencing it or how she's experiencing it are absolutely sometimes have nothing to do with each other, but they're each in their own way, completely complicated and gorgeous. Like, I don't know how he would ever describe this week that we had together. Mm. I guarantee you it does not resemble my description of it. Yeah. This might be totally different than your experience but I feel like every time I dated someone who were a little less complicated than I am who maybe didn't go to the same kind of like ambitious nerdy school that I did Mm -hmm. I would 
I know what you mean. They remind you to describe, yeah. but I know exactly what yeah, you mean. Yeah, I know. But yeah. I just feel so like, well, I don't know. It's I just, a real yeah. thing. But when I do this, I always feel like I'm connecting with my family. I don't know if you have this too, but like my dad doesn't read books. So every time I've dated a guy who doesn't read books, who like understands cars, like understands how to drive a boat. I'm always like, this is amazing. You're like my dad. Not that I want to f- <laughs> my dad, but it's like I it's like a it's like a way of speaking and a way of understanding the world that I'm that's very comfortable to me in the most primal Are way. Are you a Matilda? Like were you like the book smart daughter of the family who went to the book smart school because I was a Matilda. So I think mm-hmm. on some level I was like, yeah, I mean my parents both went to college, but I'm definitely of my family. I'm the one who went to the East Coast for college. I'm the one who went, you know, and and got like a master's degree or like does, you know, a a certain level of like intellectual engagement that is unusual in the scheme of my immediate family. I've never heard that phrase, but I really like it. Everybody's a black sheep, sure, but I'm definitely a black sheep in my family. And so I think that that is that yearning is to sort of like pair with somebody who represents uh, a normalcy, this fake normalcy that you have in your head. Absolutely. I mean, I think especially like when I've been attracted to men who were, as he was, like kind of like macho and he had like older school sort of like ideals about relationships and like, you know, women versus men. And he didn't necessarily like appreciate me as like a smart lady. I kind of liked that. Yeah, There was something very gratifying in being able to sort of like rope a guy like that. In a world with him, I would never need to read the whole magazine or the end of the article. No, I would not not. need to know about the latest movie or book release coming out. Absolutely not. It's so much easier. And I think that's like his, for example, like returning to inspect his camera for damage the whole time, which is so stupid, right? Like it's the stupidest thing. But like it's like what he cares about. And so I think the whole time I was with him sort of observing what he cared about, being keenly aware that I was like completely underselling myself on some level or that I was like engaging with somebody who didn't have necessarily the capacity or the interest in like knowing huge aspects of who I was. I mean, I think that as I reread this piece, which is written about a much for like a younger version of myself, what I notice is how little of me is in it. Like how I'm just observing him. It's all like him and his actions and his preoccupations. And I feel like that's what relationships felt like often at like 21 or 22 or 19, right? Like Mm -hmm. where you're just like, you're just seeing this other person and you're like, I don't know, for me at least, I completely forgot to have myself. Like I, I wasn't involved on some level. I was also, I was so excited. I was like so excited about like, as I said, like roping this person and like that you'd even be asked to go to Costa Rica for a week was like the most exciting thing in the world. And it is romantic. Like that is super romantic. No, what I'm thinking about is like, what advice do we give to girls who are considering these kinds of dating experiences or her? Yeah, what would I tell 21-year-old Andrea? Like, I don't regret any of the times I dated someone who didn't feel totally appropriate. I actually think I learned a lot from all of those experiences, and I must have been pursuing them because they were something I needed to to learn and resolve within myself. Would you not go on this trip? No, never. Yeah. Absolutely not. In part because it's a funny thing to say to people. I like having lived and survived the, the risk 
whether that's something like this or something like, you know, I ate a live grub or I did the second tallest bungee jump in the world. I feel like there's a small handful of things I've done in my life that I did only because I could be like, I did that. I did that. You know, <laughs> and I think that this is one of these. This isn't it. It's like dating as risk, which I have so many friends who yeah. actually wouldn't do that because they're wiser than me. <laughs> less yeah. dumb <laughs> but i'm at a point now where i check myself i'm like am i doing this for the story because i can't just do this i can't just do stuff for the story anymore yeah because it started to get messier because i love life tourism <laughs> like yeah life, life tourism. tourism it's a it's a fantastic term emotional tourism and again there's something sort of safe about being like, well, I'm just going along with him because I know it's a terrible idea. You know, there's something insulating about that as opposed to if you're with somebody who you're like, Christ, I just checked it all out and it all makes sense. And there's nothing completely objectionable here. And we seem to be having a really nice time. And he seems to be capable of understanding me. And I have to be like my full self. And like that is so much scarier than dating something with a huge, obvious, glaring error or handicap of some kind, which a lot of my relationships have had some huge, obvious thing that didn't make any goddamn sense. I would much rather have something end because I don't like dating a professional poker player or I have to move away from my documentary school in Maine so I have to break up with the physics teacher. Yeah. Like I would much rather... problem. Yeah. Rather than he got to know my truest self, my most honest self, and it wasn't enough. Holy... Yes, exactly. Or Yeah. We can't date because your conservative religious family will literally mourn your death if we were to marry right or we can't date because i actually have known all along that we weren't compatible sexually or emotionally like when you have something that's like so big that you've sort of been like keeping it on the side and then that is that does protect yourself when it all falls apart and all your friends are like, I knew, I knew. And you're like, you know what? I knew too. I always knew it wasn't going to work out. And then you're like, all right. And that might hurt horribly. And I'm taking a lot of liberties with like how these stories have gone. But like on some level, you know, I did see it. Like you, you release the bowling ball onto the bowling lane and you can immediately see whether it is going to go right down the middle or not. And even though and then you stand there on the edge and you're like, oh, man, maybe it won't. Maybe it won't go into the gutter. Or maybe it will do more than just sort of like nick a couple of pins on the side. But ultimately, no, you kind of know as soon as it happens. Or like, I don't know, I watch a lot of baseball and like, you know, you know when something is absolutely headed for the stands. You can see it. And I think that like you have to, uh, that it's much harder to, uh, sign up for something that doesn't have a sort of obvious out, an obvious emotional out. What, like you say, I think that's exactly it, is that you wouldn't want someone to see your truest, most realist, most beautiful self and then have them hurt you. And actually, that did happen to me once. And it was like the worst thing that ever happened, right? It was like when I finally met someone who I was like, oh my God, I found you. And I like, <laughs> like bared my soul completely. And I was like, I'm perfect for you in every way. And then he, he didn't agree. Of all the relationships I've had and all the breakups I've had, it was that one garbage 
one. And it wasn't even that long and it wasn't even that involved, but it was just because I actually allowed myself to be totally real and totally comfortable. And then he didn't have the same feelings in return and it devastated me. It like absolutely mm. ruined me. This was like a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, like a breakup that actually requires recovery. You oh. know, like after Costa Rica, I'm sure it was no problem moving I, on. Yeah, is it bad? I don't even count this as a relationship. Yeah. I count it as a date. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. I just don't want to go through that kind of heartbreak again. And I think about it a lot. I think there's something to be said though for easy heartbreak, which is what this would be, right? Like where you're setting yourself up to not be devastated. Like there was no way, like I decided to cry. I'm saying goodbye to this guy. I decided to cry on some level because it seemed like the appropriate thing to do because it was to some degree emotional. Yeah, you have empathy and also you get like kind of chemically bonded to someone after an experience. And like it was that. also like, I knew I was never going to see him again. Yeah. I always wonder like if I was a simpler girl, you know, if I didn't have all these high flute and dreams for myself, I could really have a happy life. There's like another version of Andrea yeah. Yeah. who graduated from high school, went to the University of Wisconsin, became an English major, teaches high school English. And I have so many like babies in such a big house right now. And she's really happy and everything's good. And her parents understand her life. That's what that, you know. And as... he would have been a great partner for that. I've had men who would have been legit great partners for other versions but then the answer is you're not you're not yeah you are you are you know and it might be feminism's fault or you know this <laughs> it might be that and but you know the thing is like you're not and like why would you want to want love that requires you be a completely different person than you absolutely are that's ridiculous i think it takes a while to sort of get there and not that I've gotten there necessarily, like, all the way there, but I've definitely, like, I've noticed the fact that it's probably better if I date people who have the capacity of appreciating who I am on the, <laughs> like, you know. Like, that was the biggest revelation of my late 20s was, like, <laughs> oh, like, it's like I can see the deal breakers, know their deal breakers, and step away without the curiosity. If I'm going to get real, I feel yeah. like there was this other thing, though. So I was at Brown for undergrad, and I think there was this other thing, which was, like, I was surrounded by all these, like, really smart, really self-obsessed, hardworking, on some level, intellectual men. A lot of them were gay, so let's take that out of the field, right? <laughs> and I and I dilly-dallied with that. But, like, what? A lot of these straight boys, I was like, I don't understand who you're dating. And the answer was they were dating, like, the sorts of girls, no offense, with, like, long brunette hair who, like, were thin and would, like, lean against a wall at a party and not say a lot, but kind of seemed to be very full of meaning. And they probably, like, all read M plus one and... Like, I don't know. I always but felt... But they were, like, a little more nurturing and a little less outgoing, spunky, going to get too drunk at this party. Well, that's... Yeah, yeah that's the they thing. Never I always too felt, drunk. I always felt like a greyhound walking around, like, or like a, like a Great Dane walking around and being like, hi, guys, sorry, I'm a little bit big here, you know? And there was, like, there was no amount of, like, high heels I could put on or, like, you know, and I always felt, I think it's because I'm sort of a dude woman, like, I was always just, like, God! 
God, you don't really work for me, do you? I don't know. I think it was that. that and I think that that's what part of this piece is about, is there was this sort of like one model of man that I was very much just inundated by at Brown. And then I knew that like, I'm sure there, I mean, and I have many friends who sort of fit that model of guy. But I just knew that, like, I wasn't getting it there. And so I was just like, where else do I go? I date townies. I date grad students. I, you know, I follow Amanda Costa Rica, you know? Yeah. No, I'm with you that the dateable guys were not in college. I'm with you. They were just, like, soft little concerned boys who wanted... I feel like so many guys in college wouldn't have sex with you. Oh, my God. I had so many guys where I was like, do you want to just have sex? And they were like, not into that. And I didn't frame it in that way. But I was just like, on some lo- I think I, so much of the sex I had in college would have just been me being like, must have sex with someone. Someone, someone will have sex with me. And then, and like, as an adult woman, I'm like, especially like now living in New York and you're like, okay, Cuba, you're like, literally everyone in the world will have sex with me. Like, that's Except sometimes- for when I was 22 when years I was like old 22, and incredibly hot incredibly hot. I mean, I would argue that on some levels I've gotten hotter since I was 22. I think I've like no, managed too. the whole look better. Yeah. But like I was definitely, yeah, I mean, I'm flabbergasted at how undesirable <laughs> I felt at that age. It's just amazing. I was just remembering all the nights that you'd spend with a guy who didn't want to have sex. He was like, it's too soon and you stay in bed together and you're just kissing sometimes. And I'm just like so ready to go. Yeah. I Let's think just go. It made me sort of see sex as this like, you know, life achievement unlocked sort of like must get to fruition, which I think is like part of what's happening in this story. I was like, we will have sex once a day. Ha 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 ha. Have done it. You know, <laughs> like, and that's not how sex should be either. I think that also is like America doesn't like teach about sex and like especially for women. I just don't think that like no one ever said to me like, hey, sex is for your pleasure and like you should be not viewing it as an achievement you know like if someone had like clearly like somehow put that into my well you're saying advice to younger self if someone had done that to me when I was much younger I think I would have been like I don't think I would have heard it but you know if he is this like 20 year old guy from Maine who's wearing his like skinny jeans and he's like sitting next to you all night and like kind of just wants to talk about his ex-girlfriend and like you know you're like well does this guy want to do it with me and he doesn't really seem (laughs) into it like if he's not into it to not be like I am undesirable no one will ever want me you know like to not let that be what happens I hope I see him in the cafeteria (laughs) I'll wear my favorite dress why does no one love me (laughs) you know like I think that's just like the worst the worst things to conflate in the world you know Oh, it's so true. Whereas, like, a guy from North Carolina is like, yeah, like, I'll make out with you. Like, I'll... <laughs> You're hot. Yeah, I think there was something... It's simple. Something, I, you know, I didn't love that book, The Marriage Plot, but it did, I thought, really capture the sort of, like, the dudes in that book and just, like, how they're, they were the other version of how I am, which is they're just, like, they're intellectualizing everything. They're super self-obsessed on some level. Like, you know... They're trying to figure out to what extent they're completely in charge of the universe. And, like, I think it just makes for really terrible dating. Like, (laughs) (laughs) This is, like, a sad note to change things, too. But I was just reading Lena Dunham's book this past weekend. And it got me thinking a little bit about all the times I put myself in really unsafe situations. Right. And 
as part of my life tourism, I would put myself in these kind of unsafe situations. And I've somehow made it through those years without being sexually assaulted. But I put myself in so many spots where that could have happened. Yeah, I mean, this story on some level, I think, could be a story that would be horrific, right? Like, I was putting myself at an incredible risk. Literally. I didn't know this guy. He's a friend's cousin. That's not a thing. He was living in Costa Rica for no reason. That's weird. Like, I was there with him for a week. You know, it would have been so easy for, I mean, if not him to do something to me, but, like, something to go really off the rails and, like, me have very little resources like you know you have that credit card that mom's still on in your wallet how much does that really do on some level yeah a lot of the situations I put myself in especially when I was younger and to do with men were not they weren't smart they weren't smart they weren't safe I don't have this in the story but like I got back from this thing in Costa Rica and had to take a pregnancy test because I was like not wearing condoms the whole time and that's stupid right Like, that's stupid. And I knew it was stupid. And I remember I had my friend Will came over to my apartment and I was like, I told him, I was like, here's the deal. I just went to Costa Rica for a week. I had sex with this guy the whole time. Like, I wasn't safe about it. And he was like, all right. And like, we went to the deli and we got a pregnancy test. And I like (laughs) made him like sit in my living room with me and just, and I was like upset, but I was also like, I know this is going to be fine. On some level, I was just like, I knew everything was yeah. going to be fine. It was fine. Because there was a part of me that was like, what? I have a baby? I was like, or what? <laughs> I have an abortion with this guy? I was like, no, that's not going to happen. Like, But I think that's the folly of youth is you sort of like, you do have this sense of like, you can get away with it. I don't know. I had a lot of scrapes. I had a lot of close calls where I'd like, get away with it. Get yeah. away with not having a baby or an abortion or an STD <laughs> or, you know, like dying. Like, I feel like I yeah. got away with a lot of really dumb stuff. <laughs> Zero AIDS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Zero AIDS. That's my tally. <laughs> no. no. Well, I do think being um, on some level... Uh, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in, in saying that, like, as a young woman, especially when there was, like, alcohol involved, which, like, to be honest, there always was, and then being a sort of, like, assertive person where I used a sort of, like, oh, yeah, totally, I'm down with that, as a way of almost preventing against something that I didn't want, right? Where you're sort of, like, I, yeah, no, totally, I'm totally into this, is a really great way of not having to say no, to something, mm-hmm. right? I, I mean, my answer is almost never no. Never no. I mean, never. If, you, if you've if you got me to that point, <laughs> the answer is probably not no. You know, and I think that there, who was, I was listening to something recently where they were referencing like college is this great biodome. Was this your show where college was this great biodome of sex? Yeah. And everyone was like, okay. So everyone was like, you know, oh, it's college. Like everyone was just having sex in college and it was this really like fertile no, space. It was so easy it was to so get wa- easy. your plant and, watered. And then, uh, yeah, exactly. Get your plant watered. And Laura the- Mayer's wonderful story right. about the rats. And I didn't identify at all with that sentiment mm-hmm. because I was like, no, like at all. Like I found, <laughs> I found the biodome oppressive. I was like, I'm too soggy or whatever. I just couldn't in the metaphor. It doesn't really hold up. But I didn't feel well nurtured in that space. And I've actually so much preferred adulthood where there sort of are wider horizons and you are able to sort of like be who you are in your own turf. And there isn't this assumption of this sort of like cloistered safe because I think safe often isn't safe on some level. And I just I didn't identify with that sort of model of like, oh, once we were all children and we were just fucking and it was great. And then now we're adults and it's very hard to like find connection. I actually I've experienced the opposite in my life. I feel like 
I didn't feel very well matched in college, which is weird on some level because I was surrounded by like intelligent, handsome, hardworking men who I should have felt excited to be paired near. But I just didn't I didn't have that sense. And then as I've been more in the adult world, I've had much better luck, you know? Yeah. Well, Holly talks about how most women want to grow up with a partner. We want a partner to help us figure out the adult world, and a lot of men don't want that. And I feel like I went to college thinking, I want to find someone to help me navigate this place with me. And when it didn't happen, it made me stronger. And I'm glad I grew up into exactly who I am without mm-hmm. the influence of any kind of long-term partner. Mm-hmm. No, um, or I And now say- when I meet someone, I'm like, hey, are, can you match exactly who I am? Because there's no changing it now. <laughs> yeah, or exact. I would say it's just the influence of like lots of different partners. Like each of these stories, each of these sort of, for me, each of these men have been super formulative like there are super important things that have come of each of these narratives like this one being one that's so small this is a week of my life it's tiny right it's like not a big deal at all but then you know others that that are like larger and and are telling you at least I figured out a lot of who I was um, as a result of of pairing myself with other people and I, I I often feel um you know, I know people, I have some friends who are very happily single or who don't involve themselves with other people very often or sort of like more protective of their hearts. And I don't identify with that at all. For me, not engaging with other people on this level um, is just super unnatural feeling. And I don't like it. It doesn't take, doesn't last long if I'm like, oh, I won't be involved with anyone. Like that doesn't last long ever. The same way that if I go a day without talking to another human being and then I'm in a taxi, I will just talk to the taxi driver, <laughs> right? Like, I am just like, hi, so how's you? Oh, did you get, you know, I, I can't help it. So I've never quite understood people who are that way and who don't have the desire to match deeply, though I've always gotten the sense that they're, like, better than me because they're like, oh, they're already, like, self-sufficient or they get it or they don't need other people. But you know what? As I've gotten older, I've been like, no, all of these relationships, like I have friends who will be like, oh, Sandra, you're at it again. Like, you know, you you're always uh, you're always doing this kind of thing. And I think that, like, I don't I don't really care for that judgment because I feel like I've actually learned so much about humanity and about who I am and about being a woman and about sex and about honesty and about all these major things as a result of sort of pairing myself with these other people. Like that has been one of the most important exercises I've done as like a woman for the last 10 years. I think it's really judgy to be like, you know, you would be stronger if you just like were confident enough to just be on your own. Because I'm like, I, I ain't that. I ain't never been that, you know. But there is a level of it's difficult to to be with other people. It's like a difficult thing to do. And it's like, you do get a lot out of it, you know? And I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think it's just, it's like, it's, it, it, it takes all kinds sort of thing. Like some people are that way. Like I have friends who are super stoic and solitary and like can hike the entire Appalachian Trail and, you know, have one relationship ever that matters to them. And I'm like, yeah, I have nothing in common with that. <laughs> I was out yeah. last week. I was in London and I was out to dinner with a friend of a friend and he was preaching to me the virtue of just hiking by yourself for weeks at a time and he was really saying it to me in this way like you should do this and I was like well practically speaking that would 
cannot happen. But on another level, I was like, that doesn't appeal to me at all. And is that bad? I don't know if that's bad. No, you figured yourself out. I'd rather go on a hike with like a random dude. And then that... (laughs) (laughs) So my first question to you was, would you do this today as 27-year-old Sandra Allen? And your answer was no. But maybe it isn't. Yeah, I would like to think that I would have more red flags with regard to like this particular individual than I would have had at the time. But no, no, on some level, you're. But you still are someone who would say yes to Costa Rica on a first date. I had a guy guy. ask me to go to Montreal with him last night, and I said yes. How long have you known him? Two weeks. (laughs) You realize that that's another country and you need a passport to enter it, right? <laughs> We're not going necessarily. You're going. I would like to. <laughs> Here comes. You're, you're just. Hey, but I think it's yeah. a really wise decision. <laughs> That's the other part yeah. about this, is I always thought myself very wise. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. You're bracing the world, and that no one's ever. If, if, <laughs> people, the people who tell you not to just live fully. Oh, you should wait three months. That seems arbitrary to me. Oh, man. It's worth it. God damn it. (laughs) Sandra Allen is a features editor at BuzzFeed, and she read this incredible story that we are calling Date. Thank you so much for coming on YOY. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you dying right now? (sighs) Feelings. (laughs) just always feeling because I told myself I wouldn't bring up the Montreal thing (laughs) it would really would it would really like hoist me by my own petard right (laughs) it would really 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 gut my ability to have a point of view um on this whole like you know the youths when they go on these dangerous romantic vacations and I'm like I would still do lots of stuff where'd you meet this guy on the internet I met him on the internet (laughs) So, Sandra, as we wrap up the show, WFMU is having a silent fundraiser this month, which means I'm not supposed to talk about it, but it's going on. And if people want to donate, there's a link where you can do it on my playlist page, wfmu.org slash playlist slash LK, which you can get to just by going to yoyradio.com. Um... Why should you've been listening to YOY for a while? I'm just gonna force you to explain on my behalf why people should make a small donation and, and get a T-shirt out of it. I like YOY because uh, I think it talks seriously about stuff that is treated as unserious. I think in large part because of gender. I think feelings, as much as I like to jokingly say I like feelings, I think feelings are very important, and I like the fact that this show gives a serious space to. What is it, frivolous, man? Because it's like love and sex and relationships and how well we love ourselves. Um, and I think this show is very unique in its candid, wide-eyed Andrea approach to unpacking these things. And you should give money if you have it. If you have it. If you don't have yeah. any money, that's fine, you know? I have some money sometimes, usually not, not many money because of New York. <laughs> New yes. York has this amazing uh, money-sucking ability. Yeah. Yeah. We just figure out what you can give, and then you donate it. 
yyradio.com. Special thanks to Aaron in Hopkins, Minnesota, my wonderful obscenity screener. Also, we had help from Greg Harrison at gregcircanow.com. Stay tuned for Infinite Distortion with Bosch. This is WFMU's Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, and online at WFMU.org.